1: It's been a few weeks, but turn with me back to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel, chapter 10. Tonight we peek behind the veil. Tonight we take a glimpse through the looking glass down the rabbit hole as God for a brief moment peels back the curtain and lets us see into the spiritual realm. Now I know uh, I've always been fascinated with what's behind the curtain with what's behind the scenes and as I went out into the workplace and I actually started to go into the back rooms of the places where I used to shop, and because I now work there. uh, And as I had the opportunity in high school to uh, be in a play and obviously be backstage and see behind the props, I I realized that most of the time, behind the curtain is not all that impressive. (laughs) It's not nearly as as majestic as uh, our imagination might want us to believe. I mean, that's the whole idea of a prop. I remember going to uh, I think it was MGM Studios uh, Park, and they were showing some movie sets. This was way back in the day. And uh, you see these sets, but then when you get up close to them, you see just how, uh, how fake they really look. They, they look impressive on the screen. They look impressive from a distance, but when you get up close, when you really see behind the curtain, it's not all that impressive. However, tonight, we're going to get some glimpses, and we're going to continue as we go through uh, the next... Uh, last few chapters of this book, we're going to see some amazing things behind the scenes. We're going to see some amazing things behind the curtain as God pulls things back for us. Now, it's been a few weeks again, so let me just take uh, just a second to catch us up to speed. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 through chapter 9 uh, record three progressive prophetic visions that were given to Daniel in the latter years of his life. Daniel has been serving the Lord for many years, and he has been faithful to the Lord through many circumstances. But here now, towards the end, Daniel's always been a prophet, but God is now giving him not the interpretation of other people's dreams or of King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, but he's giving him these powerful visions of what is to come in the future. And these visions give us, uh, even more so than Daniel, because we have much more prophecy than Daniel had. Daniel had a lot of prophecy. The the Old Testament, for the most part, had already been revealed. There were some prophets who would come after Daniel. But for the most part, uh, much of the Old Covenant had already been revealed or was in the process of being revealed through Daniel, through uh, Ezekiel. Nehemiah and Ezra are coming along now and Yet, we have so much more. We have the prophecies given to us by Jesus himself. We have the mysteries that were revealed through the Apostle Paul, things that had been hidden from Daniel and from everyone up until the Apostle Paul was given the revelation. And of course, we have the book of Revelation, which is uh, this incredible, which uh, Lord willing, um, we will be going through the book of Revelation together as well. And we're going to spend a lot of time uh, in the book of Revelation, we're going to see some amazing things because the book of Revelation actually takes a lot of the old covenant prophecies and a lot of the other prophecies even in the new covenant and it gives, it, it gives them some context. It puts them in, in a context and in order for us. And so it, it's very helpful to understand so much of what is coming. Nevertheless, Daniel was revealed a lot, specifically about the nation of Israel, yet despite all of the revelations that he had been given in chapter 7, 8, and 9, and, and we, when we look at chapter 9, there's just some amazing, amazing details. I mean, we were, we were given the prophecy of the exact day that Messiah would ride into Jerusalem and present himself to be king, and we were told that he would be cut off, not for himself, but that he would be victorious in the end even through death he would be victorious and he would end the reign of the coming antichrist but questions remain for daniel and questions remain for us as much as as we have there's still things we want to know right there's still things why uh that we want to know why and we want to know when and we want to know how and so Daniel has these questions too, and Daniel is struggling. And so in chapter 10, God, really chapters 9, uh, or excuse me, chapters 11 and 12, God is going to give Daniel one last great vision, but it begins in chapter 10. It begins in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is the beginning of a series of final prophecies given through Daniel that will culminate in the glorious end of the world and a new beginning. And the significance of this great prophecy, it's so long really in, in re- relation to these other great visions. It's two whole chapters, chapters 11 and 12. And it's so important that we get an entire chapter of introduction to these prophecies. Chapter 10 is, is really an introduction, but even in chapter 10 we have some amazing revelations, a profound glimpse Behind the prophetic veil. And so let's look tonight and let's take this prophetic glimpse behind the veil as we look, first of all, at Daniel's dilemma. Look with me in chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 1 and 2. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true. <coughs> Excuse me. But the time appointed was the King James says long. We'll come back to that in a moment. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, why was Daniel mourning three full weeks? Well, the hint is in verse one. And it's Daniel's dilemma. There is a significance to the timing of this particular vision. It came to to Daniel in the third year of King Cyrus' reign. Now, you say, well, what what does that mean? What's the significance of that? Well, remember in chapter 9, Daniel is revealed from Gabriel. Gabriel, the angel, is sent to Daniel, and, and he's told that there's going to be a decree for the children of Israel to rebuild the temple. And the decree... Uh, the first decree for the people to have permission to go back and permission to begin the rebuilding happened in the first year of Cyrus' reign. That means that we're now two years after the, the Israelites have been told, hey, you can go back to Jerusalem. You can rebuild the temple. And it's been two years. And the temple has not been rebuilt. And only 50,000 people have gone back to Jerusalem. The rest have thought, eh, I'm pretty comfortable in Babylon. I'm not ready to go back. And we're not going to take the time tonight to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. I would encourage you to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, as I would encourage you to read all of Scripture. But if you really want a lot of the context, the first uh, few chapters of uh, Nehemiah give it to you, and, and Ezra goes into even more detail The people had gone back, but the walls were still uh, not non-existent, essentially, and the foundation of the temple had begun, but the people had gotten discouraged and they had not finished it because some of the Jews uh, had been become so liberal and so worldly that they were actually criticizing and complaining to and mocking the Jews who wanted to rebuild And of course, there was incredible opposition from the people in the land to the rebuilding. And so the work wasn't getting done. They were being lazy. They were being discouraged. And what happens throughout Israel's history, they continue to fall back into sin. And that's what's happening. Even though God had promised them, I'm going to allow you to go back. And even though God had kept that promise, a relatively small amount of Jews had actually gone back. 50,000 might sound Like a lot to you, but just think of the number of immigrants uh, who have fled Ukraine in the millions just in the last few months to get away from the war there. And so 50,000, when you talk about an entire people group, an entire nation, is not really that many. Daniel is, as you can imagine, very frustrated I want to talk to you just for a second about the burden of partial knowledge. Daniel was bearing a burden. He had answers, but not all of them. And sometimes, as has been the case as we've gone through this book, God gives us an answer and it creates more questions. And that's what Daniel's experiencing here. God has answered some of his prayers and answered some of his questions, and yet now he has even more questions because, God, why... Why isn't it happening the way I thought it would remember Elijah Mount Carmel has this great moment of this great spiritual victory over the prophets of Baal. And there's this moment where Elijah thinks that the people are going to repent. We've killed all the prophets of Baal and the people have seen the very fire of God fall from heaven. Surely now. Surely now the people have seen they have been soaked in the rain of God's fulfilled promise. In the deluge of God's fulfilled promise. Surely now the people will repent. And he woke up the next morning. And Jezebel was still queen. And still as sinister and as wicked as ever. And she puts out a hit on his life. And it wasn't so much that Elijah was afraid of her or afraid of death because he, we find out that he's actually praying for death. It's that he was disappointed. It was he was frustrated. It's that God didn't move the way that he thought God was going to move. And the people didn't repent the way he thought they were going to repent. And he thought, what am I doing this for? It's the burden of partial knowledge. Now, we don't know why Daniel was not sent back. To Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. Maybe it was his age, and he's in his 80s at this point. Maybe it was his position. Maybe it was that God said, Daniel, you still got work to do here, which is, we would assume that's why God didn't send him back, because God is obviously not done with him yet. But Daniel apparently doesn't know why he's not sent back. Daniel's heart is apparently wanting to go back home, and God hasn't sent him back to the people. Can you imagine the prophet Daniel, who has heard... From God directly, who has had all of these angelic encounters, and God has given him these incredible visions. And, and the people are finally allowed to go back from, to his home where he was taken when he was just a teenager. And he wants to go back, and he, he, God's not letting him go back. And he's looking at the sin there, and Daniel's probably thinking, if I could get back there and preach to these people, if I could get back there and work, and God, that, that wasn't God's place for him. And he's mourning. And he has questions. And his questions seem to outnumber his answers, so he is in mourning. But here's the hope. Daniel is going to get some answers. Now, we get to chapter 12. Not all of his questions get answered, but enough of them get answered. And you have some questions tonight. God doesn't ever promise to answer all your questions, but God will begin to answer some of your questions if you are patient and if you respond the way that Daniel responded. I want you to look at this word again that's in the King James, the word long. The time appointed was long. Uh, Some translations uh, talk about conflict, and certainly the word, uh, when when it's translated as long, it doesn't just mean a passage of time. The Hebrew word uh, carries with it the idea of a heavy or a great period of time. This, he's talking about the burden that he experienced. He's talking about the inner conflict, the inner turmoil that he was going through until God answered his questions. Adrian Rogers said God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Sometimes we have to wait. We got our son a book. That we read to him a few. And he likes the book. It's called Waiting is Not Easy. Waiting is not easy. It's an elephant and a pig. Gerald the elephant and a a little piggy. I don't know if some of you have read those books. That's the first one I've read. Hopefully the others are okay to read. Waiting is not easy. And Daniel's experienced that. You've experienced it too. And so Daniel's dilemma turns to number two. Daniel's mourning. Look again verse two. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hidekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and we'll stop there for a second. The length of the morning was three full weeks. Daniel had decided he had set aside some time and he said, I'm going to fast and pray. Now, He doesn't mention prayer in these verses, but the angel that's going to show up is going to say, God has heard heard you and God has heard your request and I'm sent to give you the answer. So we know he was praying. So we know what he was doing while he was mourning, while he was fasting. Now, this is a a particular type of fast. Sometimes this is called the Daniel fast. And this is a fast not from all food, but from pleasant food. You guys know what pleasant food is, right? That's the stuff that has the calories. That's the stuff that tastes good. That's the stuff that we're not supposed to eat too much of. Well, he had set aside for three weeks no pleasant food. I'm going to be living on basically uh, bread and water, probably matzah bread and water. Matzah is the unleavened bread that the Jews use during Passover season. Now, again, the timing here is significant, and we as Gentiles uh, often don't see these things clearly, but uh, that's why we have commentaries and study Bibles to help us see some things that as Gentiles uh, we we wouldn't see otherwise. Daniel tells us in what month his fast ended, and it was in the first month. And Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us that during Nehemiah's day, the Jews changed the name of their first month to Nisan. This is the first month of Nisan. Now, why is that significant? Because this is the month of Passover. This is the month of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is uh, Passover just ended, actually. Jewish, the Jewish observance of Passover just ended. So... Daniel apparently has participated in Passover and participated in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he said, you know what? For three weeks, God, I've, I've got this unleavened bread. I'm just going to eat this un- unleavened bread. I'm just going to be meditating on Passover and I'm going to be bringing my questions to you about why Israel isn't repenting and why I'm still here when my heart is in Jerusalem. And for three weeks, he mourned before the Lord after apparently observing the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the outlet for his mourning was not just mourning. The outlet for his mourning was fasting. And he not only ate no pleasant food, but he did not anoint himself. The the Jewish um, practice of anointing Uh, Proverbs 27 verse 9 Amos 6 6 these were expressions of joy when a Jewish person was joyful maybe some of you when when you're going out on a date with your spouse you put on some cologne you try to freshen yourself up because you want to smell good for your wife and Daniel said for three weeks I'm I'm not going to do anything that that makes me look or smell like I'm joyful. I'm going to be mourning. I'm going to commit to taking my grief and my questions to God in prayer. Again, we know he's praying. Verse 12 tells us that he was praying. Verse 12 says, The angel says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand... And to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Daniel said for three weeks, I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to take my questions to God, and I'm going to repent of any sin in my life. If there's something in my life that God needs to deal with, as I've got my questions about Israel, and I've got my questions about God's leading and God's will for my life, I'm going to be spending those questions, not just angry at God, but repenting to God. Because I know that I am not as righteous as I think I am. How many times has God not answered our prayers because we have not really passionately prayed? We've not really mourned our sin. We've not really mourned our questions. We've not really taken, we've not gotten serious about it. Now again, this is not a no food for three weeks. There are times, there are a few times in the scriptures, Jesus being one of them, we're 40 days, 40 nights without food. You need to do, if you're going to do something like that, you need to do it under a doctor's supervision but this is 3 weeks of hey i'm not eating anything sweet i'm not eating anything tasty no pleasant food no wine just water and i'm going to spend time really grieving really questioning really wrestling with god listen that's how you get your prayers answered folks that's how you get your prayers answered it's it's not just it's not just one night of god i don't understand And then the next morning I'm going to go about my day like normal and maybe I even forget to pray. It's really how how bad do you want it? How how bad do you want it? Are you willing to spend time in prayer and fasting? And so Daniel's morning that he used as a time to get himself right with God and to seek God and to pray to God and to fast before God resulted in Daniel's vision. And Daniel calls it here a great vision. Again, pick it up. Verse 4, he's by the river after he ends the fast. And then verse 5, I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of uphaz. His body also was like the barrel, and his face is the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. And the voice of his words... Like the voice of a multitude and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men that were with me, saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. Yet I heard heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. Now, there are some Bible scholars who believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. I do not share that interpretation. There are some very good Bible scholars who believe that, who believe this is an appearance of Jesus Christ or the angel of the Lord is who is appearing here. Uh, I believe as we go through these prophecies, not only here in chapter 10, but uh, at the end in chapter 12, uh, I believe there are strong reasons not to believe that this is Jesus Christ, but that this is a great angel, a powerful angel who was sent. It's not Gabriel because Daniel knew Gabriel. (laughs) Daniel had encountered Gabriel, so Daniel would obviously know who Gabriel is. He, He had encountered Gabriel before, but this is a great angel. Now, you say, well, why do people think it's it's Jesus? Well, one reason is because of the appearance. It sounds very similar to the appearance of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Also, the um, impact of the visitation on those around is very similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to Paul and only Paul could see Jesus. Of course, Paul was blinded by seeing Jesus temporarily. Something like scales came over his eyes. And he had to spend three days in prayer and fasting. Three days, by the way, before he became a a real follower of Jesus Christ. The the, Damascus Road encounter was what put him on the ground. It's not what saved him. It wasn't for a few days until Paul really repented of his sins and then gave testimony to his repentance and faith. Uh, through his baptism, but that's another story for another time. There are some very strong reasons to believe this is not Jesus. Number one, this is an appearance that's similar to other angelic appearances. And number two, as we're going to go through this, we're going to see that this angelic being uh, is actually hindered by the forces of Satan and has to go back and engage in the forces of Satan. Now, some people have said, well, wasn't Jesus hindered by Satan? Well, yes, when he set aside his glory and he willfully laid down his life on the cross and allowed his life to be taken from him. But friends, that's a once in eternity event when Jesus surrendered himself by his own will to be crucified by his own will to be nailed to the cross for your sin and for my sin. And He rose victoriously from the grave three days later, which is why we can be forgiven of our sins when we call upon Him and repent, and why we can receive eternal life by His grace, not our works, received only through faith, because of what, he, what Jesus did on the cross. So comparing the first advent of Messiah to what happens to this angelic being in the book of Daniel, I think, is, is, is way, way off. I do not believe for a moment this is Jesus Christ. There's some other reasons, by the way, that I, some other things that we see in this text that, that would indicate that this is not uh, Jesus Christ. But I would agree with those scholars who say this is a great angel, a great angelic being, someone of great angelic power. And this vision causes these people to flee. They... They don't see the angel. They hear something, but they don't understand the words of the angel. But Daniel sees and hears. And what's his reaction? He's knocked into a trance, essentially face down on the ground. And his strength completely drains from him in the presence of this powerful angelic being. Again, just as by way of a teaser, at some point we're going we're going to do Lord willing at some point we'll do a study on angels and demons. isn't it interesting though that this being is actually clothed not just in the appearance of clothes but he's actually wearing clothes he's actually wearing linen he's actually girded with gold. just very interesting. Uh, I think many of the ideas we have about angelic beings are based uh, more on uh Hollywood than the Holy Word, based more on really uh, Catholic teachings than scriptural teachings. And so this glorious angelic being in the appearance of a man on in some degree, it's interesting. Hebrew says that that some of us have entertained angels unaware, maybe not some of us, maybe some of us. I've talked to some Christians who believe they've had some encounters uh, with an angelic being, my mother being one of them. Uh, someone who did not appear to be an angel but then all of a sudden vanished just gone not something that human beings uh, generally can get away with unless you're David Copperfield and I have some questions about where David Copperfield gets his power to again another sermon for another time but let's look at Daniel's answer Let's look at Daniel's answer here in verses 10 through 14. This is what he's been praying for. This is what he's been grieving for. This is what he's been fasting for. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So now he goes from being face down and now he has just enough strength to get on all, all fours, basically. He's on his knees and he's, he doesn't have enough strength, strength to stand up in, this, in the presence of this angelic being. But he is getting strength. And he, this, uh, this being, says unto him, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. So now he's able to get up, but he's shaken. You ever been so weak in the knees? Maybe you're so nervous. Maybe, you know, you... you Don't like being in public, speaking in public and you had to do something for school and you're you're holding on to the thing because you're you're afraid. Daniel is wobbly in the knees and he's but he's standing, he's trembling. Then he said unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day. Three weeks ago, from the very first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words well, you say, what took you so long? What took you so long? Was there, a, was there an accident? Did you have to get rerouted? I had to get rerouted. Chuck called me on, uh, before we were leaving the house, and he said, hey, there's an accident. You to have to go through Pinto to get to church tonight. Was, was the angel delayed by some kind of road construction, some kind of accident? No, that's not what's going on here. It's not a traffic jam. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, one of, by the way, one of the, not the only, but one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the king, kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Now, this is, first of all, a call to strength. A call to courage and a call to understanding. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to accomplish his good pleasure. God offers us strength, He offers us courage, He offers us understanding. It's our responsibility to take hold of what he has offered us. His divine power hath given unto us all things pertaining unto life and godliness through our knowledge of him who hath called us by his own glory and goodness. We already have everything that we need, but the problem is we don't take advantage of the things that God has already provided for us through the person of his spirit. And last Sunday morning on Resurrection Sunday, we looked at Romans chapter 8. And we saw that resurrection power through the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer in Jesus Christ. You can have the understanding. You can have the courage. You can have the strength that you seek. But you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to pray. Not to get it, but to be able to use it. To be able to grasp it. To be able to know how to to do it. How to apply it. How to live it. The angel touched Daniel. Listen, you don't need an angel to touch you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the touch of the Holy Spirit inside of you. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But, but don't ask and then doubt, which implies that we're not going to always get the answer like that. Daniel didn't get it like that. He had to wait three weeks. Some of you have been waiting three years. Some of you have been waiting 30 years. Keep praying. Keep wrestling. Keep wrestling keep seeking, keep believing, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Now, what happens when Daniel obeys and he receives that strength and he grasps hold of that courage and he applies himself to understanding? By the way, remember, verse one says he understood the thing. he, He said, I got it. I eventually did get it. He got there, but he had to do some work to get there. Well, Here's the secret that was revealed that to us and to Daniel, why some of our prayers aren't answered as quickly as we think God should answer them. You say, well, can't God just speak a word? Yes. Can't just God just command it? Yes. But that's not how he chooses to exercise his sovereignty most of the time. Most of the time. This answer had been delayed by an. There's a war going on, folks. There's a war going on today. This war it did not end thousands of years ago. There's a war going on in the heavenly realms. There's a war going on in the spirit realm between the forces of Satan and the angels of God. And God has sovereignly chosen to allow it to go on. God has sovereignly chosen to create. Free moral agents, both in the heavenly realm, the angels, and both here on on the earthly realm, in human beings, made in, in the image of God. We are free moral agents. We have the ability to choose. We have the ability to sin. We have the ability to hurt one another. And God has sovereignly chosen and decided that a world of free moral agents who for a while, for a time, can sin against one another and hurt one another, is worth what will come of that. And that is the death of His Son to pay for sin, the resurrection of His Son to secure forgiveness of sin and secure eternal life and secure by His Spirit the sanctification of those who place their faith in Him so that one day He has an entire family of created beings who serve Him by choice. Who are sinless by choice because they have been redeemed, and because they have been adopted, and because they have been empowered, and because when we see him, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And John says, first John three: three, everyone who has that hope purifieth himself today just as He is pure. That is a purifying truth. It's why we start to live for the Lord now, even though we sin and even though we fail and even though we struggle, that we are committed to growing closer and closer to Him because we have the hope that we will be sinless someday just as He is sinless. Not because of our efforts, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Father until the day of redemption. When we get our sinless, eternal, resurrected bodies. But this messenger has been withstood by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. And by the way, there's kings involved here too. The kings of Persia. Now, he's not just talking about a human prince, obviously. He's not talking about human kings. Human kings do not have the power to withhold and restrain the angels of God. Have you read your Old Testament? Do you see what the angels have the power to do? 2 Kings chapter 6. One of my favorite Old Testament stories about the prophet Elijah who's in this city and he's being hunted by the king of Syria and the, and the army is sent and they surround the city and Elijah's servant, the servant of God, is going... How are we getting out of this one? Elisha said, what are you worried about? The army that's sent to protect us is a lot more in number and a lot greater in power than the army sent against us. And the servant said, I don't see this army you're talking about. And Elisha said, open his eyes that he might see. And God opened his eyes. And all of a sudden, he saw this angelic army that was there all along. That he didn't see, he didn't feel, he didn't know was there. He's a, a believer in God, he doesn't know they're there. But there's this angelic army, and the angels strike the army of the Syrians temporarily blind. Temporarily blind, and then Elisha leads them to another city. It's, a kind of a, it's an amazing story, it's a humorous story as well. We don't see the, the battle But it wages. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12. But against principalities and powers. The rulers of the darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against demonic entities. Spiritual forces. We do. Whether we want to believe it or not. There is a war being waged. And these principalities speak of the fall. Particularly of... The fallen angels and these particular princes or principalities, by the way, we know that because Satan is called the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. He is the archon, is the Greek word. He is the archon of the power of the air. A fallen angel who oversees the demonic forces, these, these fallen angels. And some fallen angels have authority over are assigned to the kingdoms of this world. Luke chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. Satan says, Jesus, here we are on this high mountain. I'm going to show you by my power, my angelic power, all of the kingdoms of the world, and I'll give them to you because they've been given to me. I get to give them to whoever I want. I'm going to give them to you if you bow down to me. And Jesus did not say, well, you don't have that power. Jesus didn't say, that's not true. Jesus said, no deal. Jesus said, no, I'm not, I'm not bowing to you. We don't bow to anyone but the true God. We don't worship anyone but the true God. I'm not bowing to you. So there's this battle that's going on in the heavenly realms. For three weeks, this angel who has been sent to answer Daniel's prayer, but he can't get there because he's involved in a battle and in a struggle. And then Daniel keeps praying and Daniel keeps praying and the battle continues to wage. That's why you got to keep praying, guys. You don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm. You don't know what's going on behind the veil, behind the curtain. But it's way more amazing than what we see on this side of the curtain. It's way more amazing. And so then God says, well, you know what? This message is so important. Michael. You're one of the most powerful angels. Go down there and. You take over, you take the fight up for a while, free him up so that he can have some time to deliver his message, and then he'll come back and he'll continue the fight. And then you come back and do what what uh, what else I've called you to do, whatever that may be. But Michael is the archangel that has been given charge over the nation of Israel, and he's a faithful angel, even though it's an unfaithful people. Michael is a faithful angel. Until so Michael is able to turn the tide. But the angel here says in verse 20, he says, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. You see, they've gotten this net. We don't know how angels communicate in the spiritual realm. They're not, they're not uh, omnipresent like Jesus. They're not omniscient like Jesus. But they are... Powerful beings and they're able to communicate and somehow through their communication. The angel is is told, hey, you need to get back in time because the prince of Greece is coming to tag up with the prince of Persia. By the way, the Persia is the empire in control of the world right now and control the Jews, the Jewish world Persia is the empire in control of the Jewish world. What empire is going to replace them? The empire of Greece. But isn't it interesting that these two competing principalities are willing to get together and work together when it's to try to stop what God is going to do? The kingdom of of Satan is a kingdom of division and a kingdom of warfare, but every once in a while they're able to get together and get on the same page when they're trying to stop what God's trying to do. So here's a spiritual truth I want to give to you. We've already touched on it, but let me me highlight it again for you. God is our all-powerful sovereign creator, but as our all-powerful sovereign creator, He has sovereignly chosen to create free moral agents, and He gives us the freedom to obey or to disobey, to act in faith, to withdraw in fear, and He has not scripted every event of His creation. However, He has reserved the right to determine the outcome of our choices. See, that's how he displays his sovereignty. It's not by controlling all of our actions so that we're all robots and we're all playing out a script that's already been written. God's sovereignty is way bigger than that. God's sovereignty is way greater than that. God is so sovereign, he can give us free moral agency and he can allow us to make choices and he can allow us to sin, but he can still win. He can still get his way. He can still make sure the outcome is what needs to be. He is an awesome, almighty God. The preparations of the heart and man, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, 1. God says, I'm going to let you make your plans, but I'm going to decide what the answer is going to be. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatever he hath pleased. See, God says, you get to do whatever you want, but by the way, so do I. So do I. Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus Christ, the firstborn of every creature. Firstborn does not mean he's the first one that, that is born, obviously. That would be Cain. Firstborn is a title of authority. It's a title of honor. See, the moment Jesus was born, he became the firstborn. First in importance, not sequence. Jesus is the most important person ever born. He is the firstborn of all creation. Why does he get that title? Verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things And by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is in control, but he has given us the responsibility of actively and passionately confronting evil. Paul says in Ephesians 5, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them expose them that is our job our job is to expose evil our job is to take on the full armor of god that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil that we might be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood prayer is the warfare that we wage and we wage it with god's word ephesians chapter 6 so here's daniel's renewal as we close tonight Daniel's renew or he is strengthened again in verse 15 when he had spoken such words to me I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb and behold one like the similitude of the sons of men touch my lips just like in Isaiah when the angel takes the coal from the fire and he touches Isaiah's lips this is very similar to that event that angelic encounter and so this angel one like the sons of men touched my lips I opened my mouth and spake And said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the visions, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with this, my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. You can imagine he was breathless. You can imagine he was, maybe some of you have met somebody that that you, uh, that's famous, that you've always wanted to meet, and you were so nervous, and you were so excited, and it's like you couldn't get the words out. My sister met new kids on the block. She was that way. She was so excited to meet these. I don't get it, but whatever. But that was the way she was. She was so nervous. What do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Well, Daniel, I mean, Daniel's just like, I, I don't even know how to talk. I mean, I'm just breathless. Daniel, take t- multiply that by 10. That's what Daniel's going through here. There came again and touched me, verse 18, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. When he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. And then he said, Knowest thou, where I come unto thee? And how, now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia when I am gone forth. Lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But first I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. See, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The whole world. God does send his angels, but when he sends his angels to minister unto us, they are coming into enemy territory. And even Michael, the archangel, Jude tells us, does not have the authority here on earth that he has in heaven because because the God of this age is Satan himself. And so even when Michael was disputing with the devil, he had to say, the Lord rebuke you, the Lord rebuke you. Now, there's there's a time coming, Revelation 12, when there's going to be open war in heaven. And Michael's going to Michael's going to get some back from the devil. okay? but that day was not this day. So Daniel strengthened again. And and I want you to see here as we close already written. There are things in history that are already written. There are things in the future. That are already written. We know there are books in heaven. We don't know what all those books are. Some of them can, is, one of the books is the book of life. We know that. But there are other books. One of them is referred to here. The book of truth. And there are things in our future that are already written as fact and already written as already done and sealed in heaven. And the angel says, I'm going to give you a so look into the book. I'm going to give you a look into the book that's in heaven. And guess what? He wrote those things down. And we get to look in that book too now. Daniel chapter 11 and in 12. That's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. So I leave you with this. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I already know how it's going to end, God says. I've already decided that. I'm going to give you some leeway in how we get there. I'm going to give you some, some role and some play in how we get there, but I've already decided how it ends. I've already declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That's the God we serve. So let's serve. That's the God we pray to. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the all-powerful God, all-knowing, omnipresent God. Father, you have already declared the end from the beginning but God we have a role to play you've given us responsibilities and God may we through this testimony given to us by Daniel the prophet may we remember that when we pray even when you have sent the answer it doesn't come immediately that there's a war that is raging a battle that's going on and God our part is to pray and so God may we be strengthened by this testimony in our prayers, strengthened in our faith by, da- by Daniel's faith. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a need, uh, we're not going to do uh, an official uh, invitation tonight, but the deacons are here at the front. I'm here at the front. If you have a need, uh, please come talk to us. You are
0: dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your savior, and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.